The Lord be with you. Good morning and welcome to IPC Zurich. We've come from far and wide this morning to experience the depth and breadth of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. We pray that this morning's service will be for all of us an encounter with the living, loving God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please join me now in prayer as we prepare our hearts for worship. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, fill our worship with your grace and truth that every thought, word, and deed may be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today's first scripture reading comes from the first book of Thessalonians, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. So 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. You can find them on pages 1188 of the Church Bibles. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we, be, we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, Encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. Today's New Testament reading comes from Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 to 44. Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 to 44, and can be found on page 994 of the Church Bibles. Page 994. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the day of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day 
your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let this house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. This is the word of the Lord. Pastor Mark finished up Romans 8 last week, and next week will be the first Sunday of Advent, where we look forward and prepare for the birth of Jesus, our Lord. That makes today the last week of the liturgical year, and traditionally during this day, we look to a topic that's not so often talked about. We look to the future, to the day of the Lord, or Jesus' return, or the end times. Now, this is a topic that people have very diverse beliefs about. The timing of these events, the details of these events. For some of us, this topic seems so confusing, we don't touch it with a 10-foot pole, right? Others of us, love this topic, and we spend hours and hours soaking our brains in it. So, as a base reference for these phrases today, by the day of the Lord, we will mean the time to come in the future when God judges all the people of the earth. This time will be consummated by Jesus' second coming. Jesus' return to be with his people. Whatever the details, the order, the timing of things, these two events are intertwined with one another. Today we will not get into all the little details, the nitty-gritty, but we will focus on how to live today in light of this coming time. Now the passage we will focus on today, as Praveen read, is from 1 Thessalonians This is a letter from Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church in Thessalonica. And in both 1st and Thessalonians, they write concerning the day of the Lord. The Thessalonians' beliefs on this topic led them to fear and to have some strange or very interesting behaviors in their daily lives. We will also supplement this with looking at our other passage, from Matthew 24, where Jesus speaks into this time that is to come. In Thessalonians, in our passage today, Paul and the others will bring us one encouragement and two challenges in light of the day of the Lord. One encouragement, two challenges in light of Jesus' coming return. And today we'll look at this encouragement, these two challenges, and how they apply to our lives today. So let's pray as we begin. Lord, speak to us through your words in the Bible and help us to live out your words in the Bible in practical ways today. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So we'll start by reading once more verses 1 through 3 from our 1 Thessalonians 5 passage. Let's read those again. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. 
While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So starting off here, it's a pretty clear passage. It's very clear the day of the Lord is going to come at an unexpected time while people are going about their regular lives when things seem very normal for them, while people feel safe, while people feel comforted, this time will come. In the passage we read in Matthew, Jesus fleshes this idea out, likening his return to the time of Noah. Let's read Matthew 24, 37 to 39. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So these passages together are crystal clear for us. In Noah's time, as people went about their normal lives, the flood came. And in this unexpected, sudden way will come the day of the Lord. If you read the letters to the Thessalonians, it's clear that some in the church there seem to think that Jesus was going to come again very soon. That they were the last generation before Christ came. And the truth is, there have been people in every generation of Christians since the Thessalonians 2,000 years ago who have believed that they were going to be the last ones. They looked at the state of the world, which was probably terrible, interpreted the Bible to their context and concluded, this must be it. This is the end. Now, clearly, no one who has thought this has been right yet in history. And today is no exception. We don't know the time the Lord will arrive, and I don't think God wants the exact timing of this day to be our focus as his followers, because he clearly does not tell us. He tells us somewhat what the world will look like in this time, but he does not tell us the exact timing. And nowhere is this more clear than in the first verse from our passage in Matthew 24, where Jesus says, But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now we can imagine here, Jesus' disciples talking among themselves, and then following along behind him, tapping on him on the shoulder, pestering him with questions about this time, about the end of the world, that's only natural, right? I think if Jesus was here, all of us would be doing that. And here, I think Jesus really closes the door on the details of this day. Only the Father knows. It is not for us. I don't know exactly why God doesn't reveal this to us, but we need to trust him that that is for our good. Knowing that this will happen in God's perfect timing should be the best assurance for us. God has what's, in best, what's best in mind for us. And now this is going to transition us to our encouragement. 
As Jesus' followers, the day of the Lord is not a day to fear, but a day to hope for. Not a day to fear, but a day to hope for. I think for a lot of us, not knowing when Christ will arrive isn't the most comfortable thing. It can cause us worry, anxiety, fear, thinking of God coming and judging the earth when I don't expect it is a frightening prospect. I wonder if any of you have had this situation before. You're going on a long walk or a hike by yourself, and you've been walking alone for an hour or two, you're enjoying it, looking around at the scenery, and after a while, you realize, man, I haven't seen anyone in a while. Actually, I haven't seen anyone in like two hours. And suddenly, paranoia strikes you. And you think, what if I'm the only person left? What if the world ended? Or what if Jesus came back? He took everyone, but he forgot me. Have any of you ever thought this? Raise your hands. Be honest. Yeah. Well, now you will think this, so you're welcome. Anxiety over this timing is nothing new. The Thessalonians clearly worried about this because Paul, Timothy, and Silas spend so much of their letters to them talking about this time. And if you read 2 Thessalonians, it seems clear that there was some teachers going around telling the church that Jesus had already come and that they missed him. Jesus came again and that they were left behind. And some in the church were panicking. How could God have forgotten me? And the authors had to assure these Christians that Jesus had not come back yet, that God could not forget them. They aren't going to miss this day. Today, of course, there's no need for us to worry about God forgetting us either. So next time you're on a long hike, worry about the weather, your food, your water, but don't worry about God missing you. But deeper than that, and I think more applicable to us today, as Christ's followers, this is not a day that should cause us worry or anxiety, but the complete opposite. This passage tells us that this is not a day of judgment for us, but a day of salvation. A few verses on, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, and 10, it says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. This clarification of the outcome of the day of the Lord is our encouragement for today. For Jesus' followers, rather than a time to fear or worry about, this is a time to look forward to, to hope for, a time of celebration, the time of salvation, when we'll finally live together with God in his presence because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross who died for us. Our final state as Christians is the best possible situation for us. Being in God's perfect presence forever is the best possible thing. It's what we were made for. So be encouraged. Look to this time with hope, with anticipation. The day of the Lord is not a day to fear, but a day to hope for.
We'll now move to verse 4, which will transition us from these first verses to our second set of verses. Verse 4 reads, But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Now, since we know this day is coming, we shouldn't act surprised. And really what I think this verse is getting at is that as Christians, we shouldn't be caught off guard. Knowing this time of judgment and salvation is coming should affect and change how we practically live our lives today. This knowledge should change our actions, cause us to be prepared. And this introduces us to the first challenge of our passage. The day of the Lord is coming, live like it. The day of the Lord is coming, live like it. And our next verses describe what this looks like in more detail for us. So let's read verses 5 through 9 once more. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here, the authors bring us a comparison of the night and the darkness on the one hand, and the day and the light on the other hand, of sleeping, being drunk in the night, and being sober and awake in the day. This passage gives us a picture of our identity and what actions spawn from this identity? What actions come from this identity? So let's look at it. Paul is saying that there are those who belong to the night and the darkness. In the night, they cannot see properly. They cannot see that the day of the Lord is coming. And the actions that spawn from being of the night are sleep and drunkenness. Those who sleep are inactive, passive, unprepared for Jesus' return. And when one who belongs to the night is awake, it says they're walking about drunkenly, not understanding the vital importance of their actions, not living like a day of judgment is coming. Being of the night references one who is living for themselves, one who is not following Jesus and the actions that spawn from this. In comparison, Paul is saying that the Thessalonians, as followers of Jesus, are children of light, children of the day. Those who belong to the day are not lost. They can see properly in the day. They can see that this day of the Lord is approaching. And the actions that spawn from living in the day are awakeness and soberness. They are not to be inactive. They are to be living as one prepared for Jesus' return actively loving God and others. They are to be sober, to understand the vital importance of this time. And in preparation for the day of the Lord, as a soldier would put on armor to prepare themselves, 
to protect themselves for battle. So those in the light are to put on faith and love and hope, being prepared for whatever comes. They are to strap the hope of salvation, that encouragement, onto their head like a helmet. This hope is always to be on their minds. Now the life of the night, sleep, drunkenness, referencing the life lived for oneself, can be very alluring. This life in the moment is often pleasurable and is often fun, responsibility-free, but it is fleeting and it is temporary and it's going to leave one dry in the end. And so again, that brings us to the challenge of this passage. The day of the Lord is coming. Let's live like it. The authors urge the church in Thessalonica, remember who you are. Remember this day is coming and live from that. You're children of the light, God's children. Now, this is obviously very applicable for us today. For many of us, life is long, right? 60, 70, 80, 90 years. And the temptation to live an easy life or to live for ourselves is so alluring. It's always before us. The temptation to, spiritually speaking, sleep through life, stumble through life blissfully unaware is always there every day. Right? The, the temptation to plan our lives around making ourselves comfortable, ourselves entertained, ourselves great or wealthy, or ourselves set up for an easy next 50 years of life, that temptation is there. And living for God, on the other hand, being awake, active, sober, is usually not the most comfortable or enjoyable thing. I mean, the imagery of strapping on armor is used, not something we generally correlate with relaxation or fun in our lives. Life with God is not necessarily easy, but life with God is good. And a life of sleep, drunkenness may feel good for a moment, but it's not going to last. The satisfaction, the fulfillment, the peace our God brings will not only last this lifetime, but it's going to last eternity. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy here urge us, in these moments of temptation, remember reality. Remember who you are and remember what is coming. Remember you are a child of the light, a child of God. God has been so good to you. He's adopted you as his child through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And not only that, but Jesus is coming again and you'll be with him forever. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our God has been so good and he will be so good to us. So let's live like it. Now, that's easy to say, live like the day of the Lord is coming, but in practice, that is very difficult and challenging to do. And the reality is, this is not something that we can do alone. Living for the Lord is not like golf. Sorry for you golfers out there. But in golf, you play alone, you fail and succeed alone, you get all the glory, 
alone. But the Bible describes us as members of a body, where, for example, the eyes need the feet, and the feet need the kidneys, and the kidneys need the brain. Living for the Lord is a lot more like football, where each player needs one another. The defenders need the strikers to score goals. The strikers need the defenders to defend the goal. And both of them need the midfielders to support them. In the Christian life, we need one another desperately. We need one another to properly function. And this brings us to our second challenge of the passage, which builds on the first. The day of the Lord is coming. Let's encourage and build each other up. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. To live for God, to live lives sober and awake, to live like the day of the Lord is coming, we simply need each other. There's no getting around it. We need the encouragement from one another. We need to build each other up. Like we talked about earlier, Life is long, and the allure of the life lived for oneself is always before us. We cannot walk the Christian life alone. No matter how tough we think we are, no matter how strong or self-reliant or independent we feel, we need one another. And so this is our second challenge. The day of the Lord is coming. Encourage and build each other up. Now, to review, church, the day of the Lord is coming. In light of this, let's be encouraged. The day of the Lord is a day of salvation, a day of hope, a day of joy. Be encouraged. And let's be challenged. Jesus will return. Let's live like it. And let us encourage and build each other up along this journey. Let's help one another to walk in the light. Now, I want us to finish with a reflection and a story. When it comes down to it, when we have the choice to live for God or not, a root question we each have to ask ourselves is, do I truly love God above everything else in my life? Do I believe that being with him or salvation with him is better than everything this world has to offer? If I do, my actions will show it. And if I don't, my actions will show that. When I was in seminary, I was interning at a church at the same time. And part of this internship was mandatory, unpaid, three to four hour trainings starting at 7 a.m. every Friday morning. Woohoo! The dream, right? The church was about an hour away from where I was living. And so some of the other interns and I would get up at five something in the morning on the one day of the week we didn't have class and carpool together to these trainings. I would love to say that it was just a joy to be a part of these, that our hearts were merry and glad at the chance to learn. But for the most part, these trainings were spent drinking coffee, eating the free donuts, and worrying about all the work we were falling behind on because we were at this class. Needless to say, sadly, 
I don't remember much from these. But one experience during these times is burned into my memory, and I don't think I can ever forget it. Now, there was a man who worked at the church named Arthur. And the topic of the day that we had talked about was Jesus' return. And Arthur was asked to close this class in prayer. We'd been going for like four hours or something. We were all tired, ready to get out of there. And Arthur started praying. And very quickly, his prayer became very intense and very emotional. Now, for a group of mostly middle-aged American evangelicals, this was shocking to the room. He started crying out to God, begging God for the day of Jesus' return to come. He started weeping, loudly exclaiming that he desired to be in Jesus' presence more than anything else, that being in God's presence was worth more than everything else in life. Now, this man, Arthur, from a worldly perspective, had a great life. He had a good, stable job, a wife and kids, deep friendships. He was a happy and joyful guy. But it was clear that more than any of these good things in his life, he looked forward to Jesus' return, to finally being in God's presence for eternity. And as we walked back to our cars that day, my friend and I talked about this prayer. And it was really convicting for us. This prayer forced us to ask ourselves, do we really desire God to be with him in his presence more than anything else in our lives? Do we truly believe God's presence to be better, worth more than all else? And as I reflected, I had to be honest with myself. The answer was no. I wanted to live a good, comfortable life. I wanted to have fun. I wanted to travel. I wanted to have a wife and children. And as the cherry on top of all these good things, I wanted to have God. Not as the overwhelming desire of my life, but as a side dish to my life. The reality is, the salvation we have through Jesus Christ and living together with him for eternity is the best possible thing. It is the most valuable thing. Everything else we seek in this life pales in comparison with him. When we live our lives as those in the light, as 1 Thessalonians says, we will put God above everything else in our lives. This hope of salvation through Jesus will color everything. It will color all our plans, all our desires, all of our intentions. And so now to finish today, I want us all to ask ourselves, would I want Jesus to come back today? For God's perfect justice to come to the world and to be in Jesus' perfect presence starting today. And if I'm hesitant to say yes to this question, what is it that I'm holding on to? Of course, there's good desires in this. We all maybe have friends or family who, who we don't think know Jesus, and we want them to, co to come to know him before his return. 
But many of us, myself included, have selfish desires. We may desire for accomplishing things on this earth before God comes. We may desire family over our desire for God. We can even desire things as simple as having fun over our desire for God and his presence. So as you get home, as you leave today, ask yourself, would I want Jesus to come back today? And reflect. What does my answer say about what I'm valuing, about what I'm living for? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your words to us in the Bible. Lord, let us be encouraged that your return is a day of salvation, a day of joy for us. God, as this day, day approaches, let us live for you. Let us live like it is coming. And let us work together. Let us encourage and build each other up. Lord, you are so good. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Now receive the benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Go in peace today.